This sermon was recorded at Highway San Jose in San Jose, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. It's good to see you tonight. I'm honest about that. Um, Tonight, we are continuing our series in Paul's letter to the Galatians, Set Free to Live Free. And uh, we took a week off from the series last week to talk about City Dive and our time with Sacred Heart uh, yesterday, which I know that a lot of you were part of. Uh, We'll talk more about that a little bit later and next week, but for now, we're back to Galatians. And to get us caught up, Galatians is Paul's rather fiery letter to the church or the churches in Galatians. And in Galatia, sorry, or what is now modern-day Turkey. And tonight, we're in the second half of chapter 2, where Paul really seems to have it in for the apostle Peter. At the beginning of chapter 2, Paul talks about the pillars of faith, which Peter was one of, and he focuses on their like-mindedness and the things they had in common and how the apostles welcomed him, but he then reveals what they were doing that threatened that like-mindedness, and that's a theme that continues here and into next week in chapter three. So there's a lot of meat here on the bone in Galatians and we'll kind of digest it in a couple of chunks. So let's dive right in. This is Galatians two, verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, now Cephas is Peter. Cephas is an Aramaic word that means rock or stone. And you'll remember that Jesus gave Peter that name and said, upon this rock, I'm gonna build my church. So that's that's what Paul is calling Peter here. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line With the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you were a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul here is upset with Peter for his sudden refusal to eat with and even associate with the Gentiles, a group of people that he was very familiar with and very comfortable with. Now, Peter is apparently worried about that association and how it's gonna look um, to people in another social group, the Judaizers, and Dean talked about these people at length a couple of weeks ago. So we have two social groups um, combining or not combining as the case may be, and so what better way to get into this tonight than to watch a clip from Mean Girls. Here we go. Hey, how's your second day? Fine. Were people nice? No. Did you make any friends? Yeah. Having lunch with the plastics was like leaving the actual world and entering girl world. And girl world had a lot of rules. You can't wear a tank top two days in a row, and you can only wear your hair in a ponytail once a week. So I guess you pick today. Oh, and we only wear jeans or track pants on Fridays. Now, if you break any of these rules, you can't sit with us at lunch. 
Well, I mean, not just you, like any of us. Okay, like if I was wearing jeans today, I would be sitting over there with the art freaks. <laughs> oh, and we always vote before we ask someone to eat lunch with us because you have to be considerate of the rest of the group. Well, I mean, you wouldn't buy a skirt without asking your friends first if it looks good on you. I wouldn't? Right. Oh, and it's the same with guys. Like, you may think you like someone, but you could be wrong. 120 calories and 48 calories from fat. What percent is that? Uh, 48 into 120? I'm only eating foods with less than 30% calories from fat. It's 40%. Well, 48 over 120 equals X over 100, and then you cross-multiply and get the value of X. Whatever. I'm getting cheese fries. So, have you seen any guys that you think are cute yet? Well, there's this guy in my calculus class. Who's... Who is it? It's a senior. His name's Aaron Samuels. <gasps> no. No. No, no, oh, no. You can't like Aaron Samuels. That's Regina's ex-boyfriend. They went out for a year. Yeah, and then she was devastated when he broke up with her last summer. I thought she dumped him for Shane Oman. Okay, regardless, ex-boyfriends are just off-limits to friends. I mean, that's just, like, the rules of feminism. Don't worry. I'll never tell Regina what you said. It'll be our little secret. Okay, so... This is a scene that's been played out in books and films and after-school TV specials since time began, right? This idea of what group do I belong to, what group do I want to belong to, perhaps even secretly, and, and what will the group that I do belong to think when I change sides, you know? Uh, on spring break, my wife and I watched a Disney film with our sons called Camp Rock. Has anybody seen Camp Rock? Okay, good. <laughs> it's, Camp Rock is basically this scene played out over an entire movie, okay? And the Jonas Brothers are in there, so it's, it's, it's hard-hitting cinema, you know? But what I love about this clip is that it, it sets up really well the situation that Paul is so irked about. We have, here in the clip, you have one member of the cool kids, kind of the plastics, as they're called in the movie, laying out the ground rules for what is required to be a part of this group, the laws, if you will, of that group. Now, not surprisingly, Part of that law dictates who you can hang out with and who you can date, even. Now, I hope that high school in this country has changed since I was in it, but I'm afraid it hasn't. And in fact, my wife is a high school teacher, and she confirms that, yes, it's still a, a socially divided system with, you know, the jocks over here, the stoners over here, and the, you know, the art freaks over here, and then everybody spends a lot of time in therapy for the rest of their lives trying to figure out <laughs> what happened in high school, right? But back to Peter and Paul. So at this point in history, Christianity is very, very new. And people like Paul are trying to figure out, well, who is this actually for? In other words, you know, since Jesus was a Jew, is this new faith an extension of Judaism? Or is it some new branch of it? Or is it something completely new altogether? And it's, it's easy to overlook kind of the tricky nature of that because we have hundreds of years of history on our side. But that's that's what's at play here in this exchange. Within the Jewish tradition was the law, which Christ himself was very familiar with. And in the scene here in Galatia, there were groups of people who brought the Jewish law with them into their Christian practice, into their new faith. And they were adamant that things like circumcision and, and food laws and, and, and purity rituals and the like had to be practiced by the new Christ follower. Peter begins to disassociate with Gentiles whom he was previously friendly with, and he chooses instead to, if you will, eat lunch with the cool kids. 
But if you've ever seen a G-rated movie, you know that eating lunch with the cool kids never really works out, right? Doesn't really get you anywhere. What Peter is doing really hacks Paul off. So he dresses Peter down in public in Antioch about it and includes that exchange here in his letter to the Galatians. So this evidently is what peer pressure looks like in the ancient world. So the Christian faith is emerging and everybody's trying to figure it out. So why, why is Paul so upset by this? Can't he forgive a little you know, social weirdness and, and misguided application of traditions and things like that? Can't he cut Peter some slack? You know? Well, he can't because within this issue he sees a fundamental attack on the gospel itself. Let's look at verse 16. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So here, Paul is laying out precisely why he's so upset. And as he does that, he sets about describing the gospel itself, you know, how it is precisely that Jesus saves us. So how does Paul describe the gospel? It's not just that Christ came, walked among us, taught us about love, taught us about true love and service, and gave us the true, true example of how to live. What's more is there is nothing we can do to earn those truths or be worthy of the receiving of them. And this flies directly in the face of the nature of Jewish law, which existed in a way so that if you did X, Y, and Z, you were worthy of God's favor and worthy to be in his presence, some people, and counted among his people. Paul's gospel looks nothing like that. Let's keep going, verse 17. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing." The gospel that Paul presents here for his Galatian audience is one of faith and grace alone. There's no working, there's no furious effort, there's no obedience to any law or anything else that will earn our salvation and redemption for us. It's only the grace of God and his love and the sacrifice of Christ that ensures our place in God's family. This gospel, this good news should feel like an immense freedom washing over us. Hence, our title, Set Free to Live Free. So this is big news, and you might be sitting there thinking, okay, I've heard this before. Well, it's always good to hear it again. I know it's been good for me to hear it this week, frankly. This idea that at the core of our faith is a grace and an acceptance that invites us in without any admission price other than faith. Let me read verse 16 and 20 and 21 together because I think they, they form the thesis for Paul's description 
of the gospel, and it should be our thesis for the gospel. 16, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Faith, grace, and life. That's it. Next week we're going to talk more about this idea of justification and how that informs our identity and who we actually are. But the gospel for Paul and the gospel for us is faith in Christ, grace from Christ, and life in Christ. Freedom. In the novel, The Great Gatsby, the narrator, Nick Carraway describes New York City like this. He says, it, offers, it offered all the mystery and beauty in the world. I love that. It sounds like, to me that sounds like the gospel. All the mystery and the beauty in the world. A God that loves me, a living, breathing relationship with Christ, and faith is the simple, authentic entry point. Not, you know, working really hard, not striving to be good and things like that, just faith and grace and life. Anybody remember the Curtis Mayfield song, People Get Ready? Older people, maybe? Came out in the 60s. Lyrics say this, people get ready. There's a train a-coming. Don't need no baggage, just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the diesels humming. Don't need no ticket, you just thank the Lord. I love it when a soul song lines up with Pauline theology. A lot of them do, actually. All you need is faith, and later the song says, faith is the key to open the doors. Well, faith is the key. That's our admission, and that's our entry into the family of God. If we jump ahead about 300 years, to Martin Luther in medieval, medieval Europe. He's in this system in the church where it's a work system. We have to go on pilgrimages, we have to give alms to the poor, we have to do a lot of stuff to show that we have faith. And Martin Luther is doing all these things and saying, no matter how many things, these things I do, I still don't feel worthy. There's something wrong. Well, he goes to Galatians and begins to discover that we have a personal relationship with our God. And then the Reformation happens right here out of Galatians. It's kind of exciting, actually. So back to Paul and Peter. Paul is ticked off, not because Peter doesn't know the gospel or understand it. Peter was an apostle, one of the 12 disciples, one of Jesus' inner circle. So he walked with Christ. He was a witness to the whole thing. Surely he understands the teaching. The real crime here seems to be that Peter is being swayed by social forces, and he's being nudged away from the truth. You know, like the nuances of life in the high school cafeteria, it's easy to hear the voices of other groups and, and that say, you know, over here, like, come with us, be one of us, you know. And in other words, Peter's offense is that he knows the gospel, but he doesn't act like it. And I'm sure none of us have ever acted that way, right? Uh, just this week, I had a, an encounter with Amazon technical support. And uh, I think when human beings 
come into touch with technical support, it's sort of the bearing edge of humanity. You learn a lot about yourself, a lot about other people, or at least I do. So what happened this week, I ordered a couple books, a couple Kindle books, and I got charged for them, and then they sort of disappeared into cyberspace. I couldn't get them, I couldn't grab them, I couldn't get them onto my iPad, it was just, they were stuck somewhere. So I submitted the request, and over two days, you know, was working on this with, with the people at Amazon. Um, emails, chat rooms, you know, everything. So we went through a day, Day two, I was in a chat device with one of the technicians, and you know he was telling me, "We got to do this, you got to do that." And I had a meeting coming up, and I said, "You know, we can we figure this out like in the next five minutes because I got to go." And 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 you know, you know that moment when they say, "Well, I can't fix it. I'm going to have to send you to so and so." Like your heart just sinks. You're like, "Oh no, we're going, we're going back to zero. We're going back to the beginning." And he said that, you know, on that day. This is after a day and a half of working on it, and I just typed in, well, thanks for wasting my time and wasting my money, yeah, you know. <laughs> so, I understand knowing the gospel, knowing grace, and not acting like it. Now, maybe that's a small example. I hope it's a small example, and I'm sure none of you ever act like that. But, you know, when we're truly set free to live free, we understand you know, our place in the, in the cosmic order, right? That, that happens when we latch on to the gospel, as Paul describes it here. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So how then should we live? So we're not first century people. We're not tempted to be bound by you know, Jewish laws and, and intricacies of culture and things like that. Paul, Paul's reminding us that we're saved through faith and grace alone. And if that's true, then what does that mean for us today as 21st century Christians in Silicon Valley? Well, first I think it means embrace your position in the gospel. And what I mean by that is live, live freely. When you feel like you have to achieve, strive, and scratch for significance, shake that off. And Paul would agree with that here. You know, here in the Bay Area, we're, we're obsessed with busyness and striving and working hard and, and playing hard. And if, if there was a word to describe Silicon Valley life, I think it would be like, ah, you know. <laughs> and we're going we're to talk more about that next week. But we do that because we try to, we try to build our worth based on these things, Right? You know, I do it. We have this yes, but approach to our place in the gospel. Yes, Christ died for me. Yes, I believe that. But I still feel like I should go do this and that and work at this and that and try to be good and try to be significant. No. Wrong. You are significant. Christ died for you and lives with you, and that's your significance, right? The only required document in your dossier is faith. So live in that freedom. Embrace your position in the gospel. Next, don't mistake freedom for hypocrisy. And let me, let me try to explain with a story. You may have heard about this, but uh, in the news recently, um, there was a story about a boat. 
And it's a boat that the, uh, the British government built to explore the poles. It was going to go all the way to the North Pole, going to go all the way to the South Pole, Antarctica. And so you can imagine the harshness of those environments. You know, this is a serious piece of machinery, right? It costs, I think, $400 million to, to build. And the British government thought, hey, let's, let's do something and we'll involve the people. Let's, let's let the people name the boat. And so they did. They opened up a contest and they created a website and they let the people of Great Britain pick the name of the boat. Some of you have heard this. I can, I can, I can see you smiling. The name that won the honor of, of being the name of this vessel was Bodie McBoatface. It's a true story. So, to his credit, the, uh, the Minister of Science in Britain said, you know, we're not going to name it that. <laughs> or he's, or he's, he probably said, we are not going to name it that, you know. And so they went with name number four on the list, which was Sir Rit Richard Attenborough, and there's a picture of him there. Much more suitable, I think. He's a naturalist. He's the narrator of the Planet Earth series, right? It makes a lot more sense, okay? So that's what the boat is named now. Each of us as Christ followers, I'll get back to the boat in a second, I promise. Each of us as Christ followers projects something, right? Jesus taught us that we should be salt and light, preservatives in the world, preservers of human, dig of human dignity. We should be light, you know, people that promote hope. And, you know, within that calling and within the gospel, as Paul presents it here in Galatians, there's, there's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of freedom to rest in that. But we can't mistake freedom for hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a strong word here, but in this passage, it's what Paul is so wound up about. So the people of England were given the freedom to name this boat, right? But they actually abused that freedom and didn't take seriously the mission of the vessel. Now I think it's I think it's hilarious, but it but the name doesn't suit the mission. You know, if we're angry people, if we're selfish people, if we're ding dongs that yell at Amazon support people, you know, it doesn't reflect our freedom in the gospel. It doesn't reflect this idea that we've been given a gracious gift, and so we ought to live graciously. Um, at the end of the day, that's hypocrisy. Saying we're one thing and acting like we're not. And that's kind of the meat of this passage. And finally, count on the fact that Christ lives in you. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, sometimes that can feel like just theology, right? But test it. See if it's true. Does Christ truly live in you? Make decisions, order your life, do your job as if Christ is living in you. Be salt and light and see what happens. Live like a gracious person that's been given a gracious gift. For that's what we are, right? So we should act like it. I'm going to ask the band to come up and uh, we're going to spend some time in reflection. We always want to leave space here at Highway for the Spirit to speak to us. And um, if there's something tonight that's sticking with you, um, 
or sticking in your mind, you know, dwell on that for the next few moments that we have together. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a lyric to one of the songs that we sang earlier. Maybe it's uh, something from the text that's jumping out at you. Maybe it's, I really want to go see Mean Girls now. I hope it's not that. But as we take a few moments to reflect, focus in on what's sticking with you and ask God to sort of clarify that for you by his spirit. Just as the music plays and we have a, a few moments to be, be quiet together and rest, just seek that. So the band's going to play a song called Counting On. And I think it'd be great if we just, just listen to this song. Just listen to Nick and the band uh, play it. It's a song that reflects a person realizing that, that all he has to count on is God. All he has to count on is the gospel. It's the only thing worth counting on. You're what I'm counting on, he says in the song. And there's, there's imagery of pursuit in the song as well. I'm throwing stones about your window. I'm, I'm casting shadows on your door. A great image there of not just a relationship, but like lovers kind of pursuing one another. This is a person in the song who sort of understands the gospel that Paul is talking about. He's not, he's not bringing anything to the table. He's counting on God. You're what I'm counting on. So listen to that tune. After that, we'll sing In Christ Alone, which is kind of a classic modern hymn that reminds us, you know, we're saved through faith and grace and in Christ alone. So let's take a few minutes and and pursue God together and remind ourselves of our place in the gospel. Faith in Christ, grace from Christ, and life in Christ. Let me pray for us. God, a lot of us have heard this before. We've heard that we don't have to do anything. Our worth is in you. And we've heard that we don't have to be anything special. You are what makes us special. It's easy to gloss over that and just think, well, yes, but I need to try. And God, the only thing we need to try harder at is loving you. And so... I pray that that would be made real to us tonight. I pray that you'd make it real to me and just remind us who we are in you, who we are in the good news, saved by grace and saved in faith alone. In Jesus' name, amen.